Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 41. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. You were very chipper this morning, Fuleman. Because I didn't watch the game last night. You see, everyone else <laughs> is really upset, but I happened to be out, so I missed it. And relatively speaking, I think that has done a lot for my mood compared to Leafs Nation, who seem to feel like everything is on fire. Yeah, so, I mean... I th- that's just like a regular week, though, right? In, in, in Leafs Nation, uh, there's always something on fire. Yeah, you know, we hate the Bruins. We hate that we lose to the Bruins. The Bruins are associated with some bad memories for us, and we're worried we might have to play them again in the playoffs. So, certainly, a loss to the Bruins carries some emotional freight that a loss to, you know, I don't know, the San Jose Sharks wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of upset as to what happened last night. And gosh golly, it seems a little a little overreactive to me. But you did watch the game. So yeah. maybe you should so, go first before I whistle Dixie here. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I watched the game. Um, obviously, it's not a fun game to watch. Getting blown out is never fun. Getting blown out by the Bruins is less fun than that. Getting blown out by the Bruins when they're playing guys who I literally have never heard of as like a pretty hardcore fan of the league. Um, is not fun at all. But I do think people are overreacting to the loss to some degree. Um, and, I mean, the, re- the main reason I think that is because I feel that one game should never really change your opinion of a team that much. For the last two seasons and um, the first 29 games of this season, the Leafs have been pretty much the same thing. They've been offensively potent. They've they look dominant in stretches. They're very porous defensively. Mm-hmm. They rely on outstanding goaltending and finishing ability to win their games more than uh, they do outshooting or outchancing the opposition. Uh, not to say that they're awful at, at that, but they generally saw off at like 50% or you know a percentage point above or below that. So nice. nothing really has changed to me this season as compared to the previous ones, except the Leafs are more of the same you know i keep coming back to what alan uh at loser points on twitter said on our preview podcast in the off seasons that the leafs have just kind of leaned into their style in signing someone like john Tavares, and that's exactly what we have what we've done it's, it's been incredibly accurate right so the leafs they are who we thought they were you know we, we, i've said that many times and it's not really shocking to me that they have bad games every so often even if those bad games happen to come against a team that um i don't particularly like now, beyond that, like I don't think the Leafs actually played that horribly last night in, in some respects. I think they were very undisciplined. Their special mm-hmm. teams were, were bad, both the power play and the penalty kill. I think um, Boston clearly got the better end of both, uh, at least in terms of chances created. I know the Leafs ended up scoring a goal on the power play, but it was kind of when the game was decided, so whatever. Um, but at 5-on-5, five five, I think the Leafs played fine. I think they played better than fine. They played well. Halak made some outstanding saves early on. Uh, Anderson was not the Freddy we, we know and love. He flubbed on some chances that he probably should have had. And by and large, the Leafs outplayed a very underhanded Boston team, as we would hope that they would do. What They just didn't score. They didn't yeah. score, and then Freddy didn't bail them out. And that's how you get down 2 3 nothing. And the third period just ended up being a bit of a shit show. Uh, the, the third period, I will, I will say, the Leafs played badly i would say that they were much sloppier they routinely just gave the puck away in stupid situations um their 
you expect some degree of risk taking when you're down three in the third period. Um, mm-hmm. But in some cases, they were just kind of lazy and taking risks that were like, okay, this has a 0.01% chance of getting us a 5% shot on, on net. And if I, if it doesn't work, we're going to give up an odd man rush, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, even when you're down three, nothing, that, that trade-off probably isn't worth it. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, this doesn't change my opinion of the lease very much. My opinion of the lease has been the same for a long time. It's that we're a very good team, um, but we're a team that relies on things that are not very comfortable to rely on. We rely on goaltending, we rely on shooting, we rely on special teams. Um, We don't generally destroy teams at even strength. So those things can dry up in any given game or any given playoff series, whereas uh, it it always feels like the ability to outplay a team and outchance a team at 5 on 5 is more sustainable. And more consistent, it travels better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's who the Leafs are, and I- I've stopped really expecting or hoping for change in that regard. Because I think the fact is, this is what the personnel is, and this is what the coaching has resulted in, and that's the Leafs, right? And it's good enough to make the playoffs for sure. Uh, the Leafs are, you know, despite a small losing streak of two games, the Leafs are very comfortable in terms of their playoff chances. Is it good enough to win a round, win two rounds, win four rounds? We don't know. It's going to be hard. I think it's possible, but not likely. And that's that's kind of how I've always felt about the Leafs. So I'm not as down on the Leafs as many people seem to be. But perhaps that's because I was never as high on the Leafs as many people have been. Yeah, I think that's realistic. I, I mean, the one thing to take away is the Leafs have won twice as many games as they've lost. And you can argue how representative that truly was as to the quality of play. I don't think anyone actually knows for sure because it depends a lot on how real you consider that shooting and goaltending talent to be. But the fact remains is that if you win twice as often as you lose, you are likely going to finish as a top three team in the league, give or take. Um, So I don't think, you know, the sky is falling or anything. As someone who had the distinct pleasure of not watching most of the game last night. I gotta say how it looks to me is a little bit odd compared to how it looks to other people. So just looking at the the top-line numbers and stuff like that, in score and venue-adjusted uh, shot attempts, the Leafs were better for Corsi, for Fenwick, for shots, for scoring chances... For high danger scoring chances across the board. At 5 on 5, they were better in expected goals. They had all these numbers in their favor. I'm not saying that those numbers mean that they deserve to win. Because often that's not the case. A lot can happen in one game. It's just, all of that doesn't look like they got outplayed that badly. And you say, well, they were trailing pretty badly as the game went on. Yeah, but they dominated all those numbers in the first period, too. Like In the first two periods. Like it, 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 it took until... The end of the second to be down three nothing, right? Yeah, and, and you know it, it doesn't mean that it's great or that it's okay to lose to Boston. You know, fuck Boston, they're annoying, and I hope that we destroy them. But this doesn't look like a team that was suddenly being introduced to a whole new brand of hockey, which is how people describe it. You know, there's always this this desire to figure out what real playoff hockey is and to figure out how the Leafs are going to win at it, and there's this fear. That as cool as all of this scoring razzmatazz is, when push comes to shove, they're going to get in the playoffs and somebody's going to eat their lunch. 
And somebody might, because there are a lot of good teams in the playoffs. But I don't think that this looks, at least, you know, on the numbers, and again, I did not hashtag wash the games this time. Uh, at least on the numbers, it looks a lot like sometimes games go against you, and the Leafs are kind of a sloppy defensive team. But if Freddie Anderson puts up a 786 save percentage, the Leafs are going to lose the game pretty much always. And they are very reliant on him, but also that's just a lot of bucks went in on him last night. Uh, thankfully, he's a much better goalie than that, and that probably isn't going to be his true talent level, I assume, going forward. So, you know, it's fair to point out flaws in this team, but, I, I you know, I think that there's always a feeling with the Leafs of the other shoe is going to drop soon whenever things are going well, and that's baked into us to some extent. You know, we remember uh, the 2013 game where everything fell apart in Game 7, Remember 2014, where the Leafs appeared to be a strong team, and then they just went screaming off the cliff in the last 20 games and lost, like, pretty much all of them? I don't think these Leafs are like that. I don't think they're perfect. They are flawed. But I don't think that they are as obviously uh, outperforming their numbers as those teams were. You know, this team... As you said, it's a Treadwater team that gets by on chances and shooting talent and goaltending talent. There are better things to be, maybe. You'd like them to, to swamp the opposition, but there are also worse things. So, I don't know. Hakuna Matata, man. It's all yeah. good. I mean, look, <laughs> it, it, as you said, the Leafs do have flaws. They have they have serious flaws, but these flaws didn't manifest themselves for the first time against Boston. These flaws have been here for a long time. Yeah. Right? Um, so, it's like... Pretty much forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that—that's why I find kind of this reaction a little weird because it's like, have you seen? You've seen the least before tonight, right? Like <laughs> this is a not unusual thing, and it, it happens, right? And I guess this can get into the seemingly never-ending debate about whether you know. I'm, and look, I, I don't want to mischaracterize what people are saying because. There's a lot of people, there's, there are a lot of people who have been worried about the Leafs this entire time because, as, as Fulman said, it's hard to tell how much of this is real or how much of this is sustainable and all that sort of thing. Um, and I, I guess it's as good a time as any to revisit that debate of whether, you know, whether the coaching staff is doing their job. Should should the Leafs be better at carrying play at 5-on-5 five five, given their talents, right? G given the fact that they have players who you think they'd be able to do that with, Um what, that actually, why are they always so mediocre in that respect? That, that's been something that's popped up a lot uh, in pretty much all parts of Leafs Nation, but I guess like the statsier parts mostly, mm -hmm. it, you know, there, there's concern about this. Uh, and I, the Boston game probably is the microcosm, or the, sorry, the catalyst of that concern rising to a, a fever pitch, even if, as you said, the Boston game was not a game where those flaws, those particular flaws of, hey, we didn't carry play and we just relied on shooting and goaltending to win. Mm -hmm. Those did not really show themselves in that game, but I think it's stoking the fires of those fears in general. Yeah, uh, on the shot attempts thing, uh, something that I've seen in a couple quarters as part of a general discontent with Mike Babcock is to point out that in his first year with the Leafs, which was 2015-16, and a year the Leafs finished last, sort of on purpose, it looked like towards the end, uh, to judge by some of the decisions they made. But the Leafs actually posted their best shot differentials uh, under Mike Babcock that season. 
they were 51.3 percent in uh, in the courses adjusted, and so a lot of people are saying, what happened? Why can't Mike Babcock do that again? He had basically no talent in his lineup by the end of the season. Like we were playing guys whose names. I could make up, and a lot of people would not know for sure whether I was doing so. Like, you know, Zach Sill and Joachim Lindstrom, again, both people. Uh, and so they're wondering if he can get that kind of performance out of that level of talent, why, when he has obviously much more talent, are the shot results worse? Well, I think the answer is that Mike Babcock is coaching to the team that he has, because that team played a super low event style. They played... Uh, way fewer chances at either end of the ice than this team does. Like, by by expected goals in terms of rate, that was a way slower-paced team than these ones, which are fire wagon hockey, basically. And that probably makes sense when you don't have a ton of talent. Um, when you have a team with not a lot of shooters, you kind of want to just slow the game down and turn it into a muck fest and hope your goaltending can save you. Although, in that case, we had rookie Garrett Sparks, so our goaltending was not going to save us in any situation. But the teams that we have now uh, are much higher paced, more chances, and more ability to convert on those chances. It's kind of comparing like a kind of a sort of a crappy bulldozer to a Ferrari. Like to say that Mike Babcock should just go back to whatever he was doing at that point, I feel fairly confident would break this team or at least make it a lot worse. So just kind of wanted to address that in passing. Shot differentials are important. I'd like us to be better at them. They aren't everything. And the Leafs are a team that is sort of premised on dominating on chances uh, as much as anything else and the ability to convert on those chances. So, yeah. Please don't bring up the tank you're around me again. I just get upset. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's... It, it shows kind of a lack of understanding of how that team worked, right? That that team... And, and let's not forget, that team was bad, right? They were They were good for a bad team. But they, they were they were still straight up bad. And I guess the question is, like, why can't the Leafs be more um, more controlling of, of the play when they have perhaps the best forward court in the league? Or when they have, you know, two great offensive defensemen and another very promising one in Travis Dermott. Mm. And, I mean, I don't know the answer to that, right? If I did, I would be coaching in the NHL. <laughs> um, but... I think it's not quite as simple as saying, oh, the roster is more talented and therefore it should be better. The roster is talented in a in a different way. Like, Austin Matthews is... His his most outstanding NHL talent doesn't really have to do with his uh, ability to drive plays, his ability to generate shots and... Uh, generate shots from in tight and score them at a highly uh, elite rate, mm-hmm. right? That, that's the big thing uh, with, with him. I also think it's hard to just it's hard to get around the fact that our defense is just bad. Yeah, right? like, and even the guys who are good at certain aspects sometimes seem like they're not all that good at defense. Mm-hmm. Like this is how I always feel about Morgan Riley, who I genuinely believe in his offensive skill set compares to anybody. Like he's yeah, a step down from Eric Carlson, and that's about it. He doesn't give away to many people, but like defensively, you just think sometimes. Man, what's going on there? <laughs> um, and and so you know, the Leafs are almost made in, in that image because they don't have a lot of 
peak defensive players. They don't have a clearly strong defensive defenseman. I don't think they have anyone that I would consider even a particularly strong two-way defenseman. Um, you know, maybe Gardner or someone like that is close. But by and large, they have guys who are either good offensive defensemen or they're just not all that great. So <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah. I mean, the roster seems good in, in, in spots, right? But there's still obviously flaws here. And then you get down to the, the coaching as well. And we, we've talked at length in previous podcasts about, you know, the criticism of Mike Babcock and whether it's fair or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you can make reasoned criticisms of Mike Babcock, but the criticism can't end at that he should be better in shot share. Yeah. Right? Like I, there has to be like, okay, well, what is he doing specifically that is leading to these problems? And th- again, there, the, the problem can't be, but the stretch passes because there, there's arguments for them as well. And, you know, you have to conclusively prove that the Leafs are, you know, doing much worse with those than uh, they would with another strategy. Like, and this is coming from someone who thinks that the stretch passes does get... It does pose a problem in some circumstances, but it's not completely baseless for the least to, to, to use. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the same conversation we've had hundreds of times over, right? That This is just what the Leafs are, right? I don't think they're going to change by the end of the year, regardless of whose fault that is. Yeah. Whether it's the coaching staff or the, the roster or realistically some combination of both. This is the Leafs. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the question that it always comes down to is, can you win doing this? And everyone wants to know, and nobody does for sure, <laughs> you know? And I think the reality is, is that do the Leafs have a chance of winning the cup doing this? Yes, they do. I think it's fair to say. You, you know, it's there's a case where things work out for them the way that it has been going, where they get their shooting talent and Freddie plays well. And they can win a cup doing that. Washington did that last year. Washington, Washington was a did that. 47 or 49% Corsi 14 during the regular season. During the playoffs, they played better, and they also had good shooting, good goaltending, good special teams. Exactly. And I think it would be fair to say that right now on paper, the Leafs look better than the Washington Capitals of last year. Um, now, that just, doesn't mean it's necessarily likely, right? And I think that's what no. a lot of fans are worried about, that you know we're going to go through another... Uh, regular season, do good enough in the regular season, face a good team in the playoffs and lose. Mm-hmm. And my answer to that is, yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that's very, very possible. Yeah, this is the thing that is kind of easy to ignore or kid yourself about. But the reality is, Washington didn't lose all of those years when they were really, really good because they somehow morally deserved to. You know what I mean? Like, people want there to be a reason why they didn't win, and then there was a reason why they did win that was totally different. And so you get people attributing it to, like, Brooks Orpik and shit. Like, no. I don't think that he was, like, the straw that stirs the drink on that one. I think the reality is is that you make as good a team as you can. You get into contention as often as you can, year in, year out. And you can move the needle, you can do things well or badly, you can increase your chances, but even being the best team in the league doesn't guarantee you anything, and just being a consistent top five team, which is a huge achievement, just means you get in the running. 
And I, I'm kind of glad for Washington, notwithstanding that that fan base is really annoying whenever Tom Wilson decapitates somebody. But I, I am kind of glad that they eventually got their win because the truth is they probably deserved one <laughs> uh, earlier than that. So, yeah, I, I think the reality is, is that there are people who are going to say, here are the flaws of the Leafs. And here's my solution to fix them. And it's possible the Leafs are going to lose kind of regardless of that. And people are going to say, see, I told you, they needed to be tougher or grittier. They needed a good stay-at-home defenseman. They needed to do X, X, and Y. Some of these things might help. Some of these things might not help. And, and that's sorry, might help that, a little that, bit, but... that, the people who say that, that, that exists on like kind of the, the way you mentioned, like, oh, we need to be tougher, grittier. But it also exists on the scale of, oh, we need to... Play more like Carolina, play more like San Jose, play more like whatever mm-hmm. team is leading the shot share charts, right? Like, Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not just, you know, people going full caveman or anything on this. There are also people saying, like, I want to be the Carolina Hurricanes with finishing talent. Me too. You know, I'd love to get 58% of the shots and then convert on them at an above average rate. Because then, yeah, sure, we'd be great. But <laughs> it's sort of like, I always remember Taylor Hall, and he said this. Fairly early in the Corsi Wars, he was still in Edmonton, but I think this was as it was leaking through. He kind of said, look, it's not enough to come to me and say, improve your shot share. You have to tell me, okay, what what do I do about that? Make it actionable intelligence. And he, he had like a very fair quote, I thought, because people aren't always the best at doing that. And sometimes people will say, here's what you have to do to fix things based on kind of personal intuition and feeling. And it's not always easy to establish what changes are really going to be. Now we're going to be a better shot share team. Like, I think that it's certainly possible that like Mike Babcock could think of a way to turn this into a higher Corsi team. If he wanted, that would be less effective. Like it it would be possible for this team to settle for worse shots and to, to kind of just bombard the net and all that sort of stuff. And, do less well in goals. So, I don't know. Getting genuine improvement out of this team is probably harder than people make it sound. Um, unless you make a trade, which I think we'll get to later on. But, yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough to know yeah, what to do there. I, I mean, I don't know. I always struggle with this conversation because it feels like we, we kind of just say the same thing. and We, we don't have suggestions for, oh, this is this is... The Leafs should try this one neat trick. Boston Bruin coaches hate this, right? <laughs> um, and it'll solve all their problems. You know, hockey isn't yeah. that simple. It's it's complex. The other guys are pros too. And they are constrained by the fact that they have some weaknesses on their roster. Um, as a fan, it does feel like, yeah, the Leafs should be able to get more out of the roster that they have. But all fans think that. Like, <laughs> what fan yeah. base is, like, completely happy with their coach? It's, it's not that many yeah. of them. You ever read Tampa Bay uh, fans about John Cooper? Like, they have some questions about him. For all I know, they're legitimate. Maybe there's uh, not a ton of confidence in him for some reason. But, like, that dude's team is doing really well. (laughs) And despite some injuries to their starting goalie. I mean, I can tell you what it looks like the Leafs' problems are to me. The Leafs' defensive strategy is very focused on play between the dots. Uh, Scott... Uh, Wheeler, who used to write for us, had an article this morning, and he remarked on that, and that is one thing that I definitely see uh, when I watch them. Um, And then it seems like, okay, 
we just sort of settle for push them up uh, to the boards and we have trouble stopping them from actually operating along the board. So you'll see teams that are comfortable going around the outside on us, uh, just kind of spinning it around the outside and waiting for a shot to work its way in. And you get these long 45 second shifts where the Leafs look overwhelmed. Now, I can think of good reasons why Mike Babcock might say, focus on this area in the center of the ice, because that's where the dangerous go- shots come from. Mm-hmm. That's where the goals come from. I don't know if I could pick it. I might be making a mistake if I were to suggest be more aggressive chasing those guys along the boards, because that's how you get dragged out of position if you don't do it correctly. So Yeah, and, and know, it's worth noting the Leafs um, give up a, a pretty large proportion of, of point shots. Mm-hmm. But they also give up a large proportion of like shots right in front. Yeah, and I wonder if that's being caused by like by rebounds by the Leafs not being very good at clearing out the front of their net at intuitively. And this is probably something that every single team feels. I mm-hmm. feel like the Leafs are awful at getting loose pucks. And like it, when they get their stick on a puck in the defensive zone, it's there's like a ten percent chance that they'll actually get control of it. It feels like the defense doesn't do that. Basically, and I've heard it remarked actually that Nikita Zaitsev is good at this. Apparently, I find it hard to see it, but I worry that I'm taking a bit of a an evil eye to him, and I'm not seeing his virtues. My biggest problem with Zaitsev is when he gets the puck, he's like, "All right, time for an icing." But uh, yeah, it, it does feel like sometimes the Leafs are going to lose those fifty-fifty battles. And aside from maybe Zach Hyman, um, or you know, occasionally Connor Brown or someone like that. They don't recover them as often as they should. I also feel like the Leafs have very spacey players uh, in terms of their forwards. Like, on, on D, they, they, it seems like they just don't track players that well. Mm. And obviously there could be fatigue in there as well. Like, if you're being run around in the defensive zone, you get tired, your decision-making uh, decays. But, like, I mean, you go up and down this roster, the forwards are not good defensively. No, basically. And... <laughs> We got a lot of, well, I won't say a lot, but when we were like, hey, I don't know if Austin Matthews is that great in his own zone, a lot of people were not happy about it. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, I'll, I don't I'll know. say a lot. I still get people in my mentions making fun of me for that every time Austin Matthews, like, scores a goal. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, like, whatever. Yeah, like, if he yeah. Does, if he does anything. It's like, see, he is good defensively. It's like, no. No, he's not. <laughs> Austin Matthews is an amazing player. He's not good defensively. No. And to some extent, it's like, who cares? But, yeah, he, he outscores most of his problems. It's like, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying Austin Matthews is a bad player, but no, he's not good defensively. Same with Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner is not very good defensively, in my opinion. Yeah, and in Scott's thing, which, you know, I had some interesting thoughts about that, but uh, Mitch Marner does look for his chance, and that's okay because when he gets his chance, he knows what to do with it, right? But. Yeah. And the Leafs do that I, as a whole, right? They they kind yeah. of cheat, and this this is again one of the problems that people have with them, right? Like they the forwards fly the zone, they try these home run passes, the puck just comes right back in, um, yada yada yada. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a certain element of like live by the sword, die by the sword in terms of the Leafs getting into games like this one where sometimes you are going to lose six three, it won't always be your winning six three, um. They go through worrisome stretches where it looks like they get outplayed, and they do. And I'd like to fix that, but I just... The thing that I keep coming back to is this dynamite offense is to some extent produced by what they're doing. And 
as much as it also involves some bad defense, this intuitively seems like a team that should be focusing on his offense. You know, there's so much talent up front. There are offensive-minded defensemen again. And it's there's definitely, as Alan said, basically, like the Leafs are built to lean into what they have. And if you want them to kind of lean out and get more balanced... I think that you maybe get less benefit from that than it seems like you should because it just suits the personnel less well. You know what I mean? So it's like you can certainly imagine, so let's say, okay, the Leafs should focus on this in defense, on being more conservative, more cautious. But I think you get less benefit out of that than it seems like you should because you're not just trading kind of one for one, one goal for one against. This team should be trying to win games with a lot of goals, I think. I just think that that's what they're for. Um, so I, I'm maybe this is just like Stockholm Syndrome, where it's just sort of like I've seen the Leafs um, play defensively badly so often that I've convinced myself that it's necessary. But I don't know that you can really remake this Ferrari into a bulldozer. And some nights it's going to mean our goaltender doesn't have it and our defense doesn't help him and we look gross. I just hope it doesn't happen four times out of seven in the playoffs to us. And if that sounds a bit like it's like, well, you know, if we die, we die, then that's kind of what I have to offer because there are chances. Yeah, uh, that, that's what it comes down to. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't have I don't have a ton else to say. I was I was gonna say literally the exact same thing I said like ten minutes ago, which is the Leafs are what they are. I, I don't see any quick avenues for change. I don't see any quick tactical shifts for change. I I, I do give probably more credit to Mike Babcock than other people. Um, mm -hmm. in that I generally think he is a an astute guy. I, I, yeah. I think it's clear that the Leafs have made a concerted effort to play in the way that they do and I'm not going to trust that blindly but there is some evidence for why that can work right there there's one thing we know about rush chances that they have a much higher chance of going in than than not um that actually could be something that's not really accounted for in uh, a lot of in some expected goals models uh, pre-shot movement isn't really accounted for and Leafs into from what I can tell do that quite well um the there's obvious reasons why the Leafs are playing the way that they are. And mm -hmm. I give them some credit in thinking that, okay, they probably have a decent reason to do this, even if it's not immediately obvious to me. Now, obviously, we have to be careful there and not say, okay, the Leafs can never do any wrong. Right? Yeah. I don't think that's the case. I, I do think there are, there are some things where I'm like, I don't buy that, but I just we don't have the information to conclusively argue against it. Right? It's it's kind of like my, my opinion as a hockey mind, and I have a, no credibility as a hockey mind, in my opinion, because <laughs> I, I frankly don't know the game well enough to, to really comment on that sort of thing. But yeah, it, that, that's what it comes down to. Um, so I think they're playing this way for a reason, and that reason might be that they have better info than us. It, it's very it's different from, from how Babcock has played before, right? As you, as you yeah. said, with the Leafs in the tank year, he played it a very different style. With Detroit, he played a very different style, and he was the coach of some teams that were absolutely dominant from a shot share perspective. Right, we're yeah, fifty-six, fifty-seven percent Corsi. He um, coached the most dominant shot share team of the fancy stat era. Like since we have recorded data, 
it was his best Detroit team. Yeah, and like, I mean, he, to be fair, he had he had three bla- three players on that team who are arguably better than any player we have right now. A- at least two. Yeah. Um, Zetterberg uh, maybe debatable. Yeah, but. Zetterberg I think is iffier, but yeah, I mean, Nick Lidstrom is plausibly the greatest defenseman of all time, or at least the best since Bobby Orr. And then, you know, Pavel Datsuk is just one of the greatest two-way centers in history. So, yeah, but I do, you know what? This is something that Catchy's remarked on, and it's really struck a chord with me. So in discussing Mike Babcock, I kind of, I think of this a lot. Mike Babcock is a hockey lifer uh, as a coach, worked his way up to the ranks. He's from Saskatchewan. He has kind of a folksy demeanor, you know, real good player and stuff like that. He has his catchphrases. He has his way of dealing with people. One, he's a smart dude. (laughs) Um, Just like a lot of the stuff that he says, uh, especially when he plays like, you know, kind of, I'm not going to get caught up in all this sort of thing. It's all calculated. You know, like there's there's a reason why he says what he says. But beyond that, I think if you had someone who you know, looked and talked like Kyle Dubas saying some of the things that Mike Babcock is saying. I really think he would be perceived as much more progressive than he is. I'm not saying that, you know, Mike Babcock always makes the the nerdy move. You know, he does play Ron Hainsey up the lineup higher than people like, but like this is a guy who, who praises Jake Gardner to the stars. This is a guy who put together dominant shot share teams. This is a guy who said recently our response to people trying to run our players is go ahead, take a penalty. Our power play is our defense. That's like the most <laughs> like progressive hockey mind sort of thing I can imagine a coach saying. Yeah. Like eh, there's a certain amount of he, it's easier to, uh, to tolerate because it comes from a guy who's a hockey lifer. And again, uh, talks like a, a good guy from Saskatchewan, but really like, a lot of the way that people read him is based on kind of just their feelings about him as a person. And it doesn't mean that I think criticisms of him are necessarily wrong or misplaced. It's just, it skews things. And that's something that I've noticed lately. I do think that he's doing what he's doing for a reason. And for the most part, I'm saying, let's see where he goes with it. So yeah, that's my qualified defense of Mike Babcock. Do you know what that (laughs) example brings to mind? Remember in the preseason, where he said something to the effect of, you know, if you come here and you speak English and you've been here for a while, you should be ahead of the guys who speak Russian and just got here. And people, some people took that to mean it's like, oh, what the hell is Babcock like being xenophobic against Russian players? And when you read the quote, actually, and, and watch the video in the context that it was asked, it was the opposite, if anything. He was saying that, like, if you're, yeah. a, if you're a guy who has been in the Leaf system for a long time, you need to outperform the players who just got here because they have an acclimation period. They are in a new country, in a new society, in a new team, and everything yeah. is new to them. If they're outperforming you, there's a big problem. That was the point he was making, and it was incredibly obvious as soon as you watched the video. But because he phrased it in like his, oh, it's a Saskatchewan way, um, that it was not exactly the way that perhaps other people would have done it, Like the, the meaning got lost on some people. Yeah, well, what, yeah he was making a point about... Um... You know, being understanding that it, there it is a big move and there's a lot of adjustment. And the move was a prelude to him giving Igor Zikhanov the job over Connor Carrick. Um, and, and that's how that ended up. Like, he was trying to be 
accommodating, if anything, by the sound of it. You know, it's just... I don't want to get too carried away with this, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to delegitimize criticism of Mike Babcock, because some of it is legitimate. You know, mm-hmm. he's not perfect. He makes mistakes. He he doesn't do everything the way that I would do it, which is, I think everyone can agree, a good thing, because I would screw it up. But, um, you, you know, it's not that I don't disagree with him. It's just that people react to their idea of him as much as anything, and sometimes it really ends up with some odd results. So, yeah, I think it takes a certain amount of uh, of adaptability in your way of thinking to kind of fairly evaluate him and what he's doing. And also, if you were kind of brought up through the Corsi Wars, where you were convinced that basically shot qu- shot quantity is the real thing that matters, and shot quality is kind of a trivial side thing, if it matters at all, this can be tough to accept, because the Leafs are trying to win as a shot quality team. But... I think they're well positioned to try it. And so we're going to find out, you know, this is the the stress of having a really good team is, you know, we're not playing with house money anymore. We care. We're invested. This is going to be one of our best windows to win a cup. And that means you can get burned. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. That, them's the breaks. Um, yeah. Okay. So to summarize that 35 minutes of conversation, basically the Leafs are still the same. We're not sure if they can get any better. <laughs> We don't think that Babcock is dumb, but we also don't think that he's necessarily doing everything right. So basically, we've agreed on like completely useless things here. <laughs> yeah, so let's try and uh, get a little bit more creative. Apparently, and so I've been told by Twitter, but in the second intermission last night, Nick Kiprios, who we all know is a fount of, um, let's say, words... Uh, said that the Leafs were apparently kind of sniffing around on Alex Petrangelo, who was a really outstanding defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. And it was rumored that what would be going back the other day would be a good young player, so Andreas Janssen or Kasperi Kapanen. Probably Kapanen. Let, let, let's be a little, um, yeah. you know, let's give Caprio some credit. <laughs> well, I'm dreaming I want a pony. And, uh, yeah, okay, so Kapanen... Nikita Zaitsev, pause, and a draft pick. Um, mm. Okay, so first of all, Nick Kiprios says a lot of things. I don't like listening to him, for lack of a better phrase. I think that he says a lot of things that are interesting. I'm not saying he made this up out of whole cloth or anything. No, I, I'm sure someone told him. Yes, I, I think with Kiprios... Um, if he is, it's like the Friedman thing. If he is speculating, just disregard what he says. Yep. If he's reporting, I think he's a reliable reporter. I think he will relay information. He is well connected. I don't, I don't believe basically any reputable reporter makes stuff up. I think they are yeah. often puppets. I think they're told things a lot, and with the, they're told things with the knowledge that they're going to say it and say it a certain way. They present mm-hmm. agendas, but I think there's a factual basis to almost everything that they say when they are reporting. When they are speculating, as they are wont to do, all bets are off. I trust Bob McKenzie when he's speculating. I trust Chris Johnston when he's speculating. I don't trust Elliot Freeman. I don't trust Nick Kiprios when they when they do the same. That's what this kind of comes down to. Yeah, and uh, someone pointed this out about uh, Darren Dreger, and I think he makes a really good example of this because Darren Dreger, for all he gets criticized, 
quite legitimately, um, doesn't say things like absolutely as if they are facts unless he believes that and unless he has a source. You know, he's not whistling Dixie. When Dregert speculates, there's a very different tone here. And so I actually have an example handy that I would like to share with you. This was for a, from a commenter named Taro Sujimoto. It was named after a famous fictional draft pick in the past. But he said it on a Red Wings blog, and I feel like it really comes down to distinguishing speculation from reporting. So here's the quote. Dreger's hot takes usually boil down to, it may happen, it may not happen, but I think if you're asking me right now what I think is going to happen, I think it may happen. There's a sense that something may happen, and if it were to happen, you have to think it would not be happening. Everything is possible. Now, having said that, you don't make it happen unless you're damn sure you want to make it happen. Does the GM want to make it happen? I can't answer that question. I'm not a mind reader. But certainly the signs are there. Everything is possible. So you're looking at a situation where if you want to make it happen, are you prepared to make it happen? That's what he has to ask himself. And I don't envy him. So if you find yourself <laughs> thinking that when you're listening to a speculative reporter, that's kind of the tell. It's like, is this hedged? Is this just sort of saying, here's vaguely what the state of play is? Or is this actually saying, I have heard that this uh, team or party is doing this? And it doesn't mean you believe that thing. It just means that someone has said it. Bringing us back around to Nick Kiprios. We were saying before we came on that Kiprios speculating that the Leafs would get a hugely advantageous trade for a defenseman is almost like recompense for all those months we just spent with William Nylander being traded for basically anyone with legs. You know? <laughs> like... You know, we'll trade William Nylander for, I don't know, some guy who's like a leg up on Roman Polak or something like that. Did you see Roman po Roman Polak's assist to Tyler Sagan the other day? I didn't, but I just assume Roman Polak is going to stay in the league for like eight more years now. It, it, it was the and... funniest thing because like he, he got the puck <laughs> in his own, like it, it, as as the other team was tra transitioning into the star zone. And he like I, actually like breaks up the play or whatever. And then just fires like a line backhand pass that I assume was just to ice the puck but the rest of the team went off on a change the, the team they were <laughs> facing so Tyler Sagan just like comes up off his bench and picks the puck up and goes on a breakaway and ended up being like <laughs> a two-line pass that ended up resulting in a breakaway on his backhand <laughs> you see even when he's left Roman Polak remembers the stretch passes you <laughs> hey, oh, but uh yeah that's funny what you know what you have to give Roman Polak? Say what else you will about him. That guy looked like he was done like two years ago, and then again one year ago, and yet he comes back again. He looked like he was done five years ago, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's been like, you know he's been like a fringe NHLer for he's had an entire second career where he's just a literal fringe NHLer the entire time. Yeah, I remember when we when he got traded for Carl Gunnarsson, I was like, oh, it seems like. This is kind of a lefty-righty swap, but we got a little bit worse, and this guy's a journeyman. And he just keeps going. Roman Polak will be 50 years old, and he'll just somehow keep showing up. It's like Cam Ward is the goaltender. For some reason, he just brings that moxie that teams love. Anyway, uh, we're not trading for Roman Polak, is the rumor, I hope. <laughs> uh, we're rumored to be trading for Alex Petrangelo. So... This is fascinating to speculate about because Alex Petrangelo is 
really, really someone that we would like to look into. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's really a good. Genuine, yeah, he's a first pair right defenseman of the kind that we've been dreaming about for years and years and years. He, he's the type of player where if you got him, you could reasonably expect that he's become better at controlling play just because their their personnel would get so much better in an area of weakness. Yeah, we've been talking on and on about how the Leafs kind of are what they are. If uh, we get Alex Petrangelo, the Leafs can become what they are not, or a better version of what they are. They can genuinely expect to take a big leap um, because he's the kind of rare quality uh, right-handed defenseman who doesn't come up that often. Like, it's really hard. Um, I was interested to hear that he's kind of available, but St. Louis has been bad this year. Um, right now they're sitting nine points out of a playoff spot already, although they have a bunch of games in hand. They clearly expected to be good this year. They made some moves, including signing Tyler Bozak over the summer. And I'm a little surprised to see them kind of waving the white flag because, uh, that's sort of what they would be doing. You know, trading a defenseman at Petrangelo's caliber sort of says, we're not going to be good this year and we might not be good next year because he's got a contract for that season. Yeah, he, he expires after next season. He's making $6.5 yeah. which is obviously a very, very good deal for someone of his caliber. Um, and he has a no-trade clause. So he, I mean, this is all contingent on him wanting to come here. Um, but who wouldn't? We're so lovable and nice. Yeah. And, and for, for what it's worth, Mike Babcock loves Petrangelo. Yeah, that's the thing, is that anyone who he had the privilege of coaching when he was running Team Canada or something like that, he really, he, he has some bonds with some of those guys, so who knows. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the question isn't so much, would we want to get him? Because I think the answer is yes. The question is, would they want to give him to us and what would the price be? The price as described is larceny, basically. Like, it, it would be us robbing the Blues blind. And that's partly why I'm so hesitant to believe it because it would be so beneficial for the Leafs to upgrade in that way. I, I love Kasperi Kapanen, but he's not equivalent to a top pair right defenseman for two years. And Nikita Zaitsev, I'm sorry, but that's arguably our worst contract. Yeah. At least, at least on the defense. And so if we were to unload that uh, and acquire Petrangelo... Um, that's, I mean... That, that deal is hilariously to... lopsided in the Leafs' favor. I mean, I, and I, I get that it's because Petrangelo would be, only be here for two years. Yeah. At which point he's 30 and he's a UFA and is probably going to be given a deal that the signing team isn't going to be happy with in four years. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It, like, this is such like a, a lightning bolt from a blue sky in terms of like, if you told me a week ago that this were somehow doable, I would have said you're nuts. You know, and I'm still a little bit like, this is too obviously skewed uh, to the Leafs' benefit. Uh, If if this is on the table, Kyle Dubas should have said yes yesterday. Like, it should be done. Yeah. Um, Because it's bananas. But this is the kind of move that you definitely want to look at. I mean, Ryan McDonough did a similar thing going to Tampa uh, recently in terms of he had half of one year plus one year to follow up. And he's helped really uh, stabilize that defense group as if it needed that much help. <laughs> I mean, Tampa's defense group was already pretty good, but he's been a good ad for them. 
you know, you you end up with tough decisions, but I, I certainly think for the next couple of years, this would be the kind of ad that really elevates the Leafs into like a top, top contender. So, yeah, all I can say is like, the question is how high would I go? Like, what else would I give up um, uh, in order to get this player? And I don't really know where I'd stop, but it's much higher than the price that's been presented. Yeah, uh, the thing that makes me kind of just doubt this is i don't see why st louis does that like okay they they're trying to uh, they think they are not going to be good this year or maybe this happens closer to the deadline when they're out of the playoffs for sure or, or effectively out of the playoffs for sure um but in th- like they have contracts for players who are good. like they, they clearly expect to be good next year too right like they ha- they, they traded for ryan o'reilly who's on like a seven-year deal they gave tyler bozak yeah. what five years uh, let me, uh, confirm Tarasenko's that. locked up long-term. Schwartz is locked up long-term. Shen's locked up long-term. They only gave Bozak three years. Three years, sorry. I was probably, I transposed what he and JVR got for some stupid reason. Anyways, um, the next year they would hopefully try and make the playoffs again, right? And then Petra- trading Petrangelo doesn't help that at all. So it seems like they, they would only trade Petrangelo if they feel like, okay, we're just, even if we make the playoffs next year, we're just going to be a treadmill team and that's not what we want to do. But then that would also necessitate saying, okay, well, we should probably trade someone like O'Reilly and we should trade other guys too. And I think you trade other guys before you trade your captain and best defenseman. You you make a lot of moves there. Um, the only thing I can note is that, and this links in a kind of a frightening way with uh, what we were discussing before, which is that you can be quite good and go into the playoffs and lose. And sometimes that's just the breaks. The Blues have been a good-ish, sometimes very good team for a long, long time. A very long time. And they've been undone a lot of times by goaltending. Jake Allen is kind of a bit of an iffy choice for your starter. And the goaltending thing goes way back. So let me preface this by saying... When we traded James Reimer for a conditional fourth that became a third, a lot of people were upset. And so I looked at goalie rentals and I decided I found out that like a third round pick is pretty much the going rate every time for that. Except one year St. Louis got so crazy with how badly their goaltending had let them down in the playoffs that they paid an insane ransom for Ryan Miller. For one playoff run. And that was like also, they just that was Ryan Miller like in 2011, right? So he was like one year yeah. removed from a Vesna from a ridiculous performance in the Olympic Games as well. So yeah. that probably also helped. Yeah, he was like consensus one of the best goalies in the world. Um, they spent a huge fortune on him in terms of like they gave him a first and all this sort of stuff. And he was awful for them and they got eliminated. And so I tried to kind of think about why that one trade was so out of line with all goalie rentals. And my conclusion was being good and not getting over the hump again and again and again makes you kind of crazy. Like it has a potential to really make you frustrated with the things that you have and eager for things that, you know, you want. And that's really the only reason I can think of for wanting to deal out Petrangelo would just be to say, like, we can't deal with this anymore. Um, he's too frustrating. Uh, this team isn't working. We can't win with these guys. I give up. That would really be the reason here. 
because anything else would be kind of bananas. We spent longer speculating on this than probably it's worth, because, again, I would bet against it happening. But it's such a clear upgrade in a way that is potentially achievable that we're really not going to get any other way that it, it's too appealing not to think about a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he said, what are some more likely potential acquisitions? Wayne Simmons! So, yeah. But we Wayne already Simmons have Carl Grunstrom. You're waiting for me to say that. <laughs> I know. Wayne Simmons, if you don't know, is a power forward with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, he's played both wings. He shoots right. I, we would probably end up playing him on the left, though, just because we have so many right wingers. Um, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent uh, come the summertime. So this would be a pure rental. But Simmons is one. He's from Scarborough. What? What? Represent? It's my hood. Are you from but Scarborough? But more than that, I'm from Scarborough, I didn't baby. Know that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> are you like not cool to hang out with me anymore? Because it's just sort of like, oh, geez, really? Gross. I'm from Mississauga. I don't have any room to talk. <laughs> this is like the uh, the disgraced Toronto suburbs podcast, eh? <laughs> where it's sort of like the, the places to get no respect. For a while, like I would tell people, it's like, oh, I'm from Scarborough, and they'd be like, oh, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> oh, my condolences. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. But no, Scarborough is a perfectly nice place. And uh, Wayne Simmons is a really cool power forward. I would love to get him. He's a heart and soul guy. He's one of the few guys where it's like he's perceived as gritty and tough. And he is that. But he's also a pretty good player. Yeah. You so, know, I mean, this is it's, it's the type of move that would actually probably satisfy kind of the, the people who say the Leafs need to get tougher and the people who say the Leafs need to get more skilled because Simmons has both his mm-hmm. time on ice has declined over the past season and into this one he's getting basically like low-end second line minutes at this point yeah um and this has to be said he is not that great anymore he's not the consistent 30 goal wayne simmons yeah he used to be kind of an unholy terror to be honest in terms of just year in year out lots of physical play tough kind of move Heart and soul player, 30 goals in front of that. Like, I would not want to sign his next contract. Yeah. I just, it's, I don't want to touch it. He's 30, and he, it's one of those deals that you can easily see turning out like, you know, Erickson or Lucic or one of those deals that ages really badly. But for a rental, for the right price, I still think he would be a definite upgrade on our left wing, and it would be something that I would think about. I'm, I'm honestly not sure it is. Like, his, his shot impacts are, are pretty bad actually mm-hmm. um he has some he's legitimately excellent on the power play uh he mm-hmm. would beef up our second unit but like is a is a second unit power play guy and like a third liner at even strength worth that much in the rental market in theory no but simmons has all the intangibles the toughness the history that would make him more expensive than i would like to pay for it's possible and you know i want to see a price like i, I if somebody wants, you know, Kasperi Kapanen for Wayne Simmons, I'd probably say no. Nope. I think Kasperi Kapanen's better than Wayne Simmons right now. I think that's a plausible argument. So, like, I'm not touching that. But, um, and this is a rental, so really the price should be picks or, like, not prospects you're especially attached to. And you can say, look, okay, then we're going to get priced out of the market. Then that's that's how it is. That's fine. And I, I, I would give up on it. But I do like the idea of him. And this is kind of, I'm going to own it, based on a bit of a nebulous idea of chemistry. 
uh, where it's like, he just seems like he has a fit on the left wing that we could use. You know, I've talked a much a bunch about how much I love Zach Hyman as kind of a, a digger or a retriever, or a tough guy. Wayne Simmons is able to go to the dirty areas and play kind of a tough game. And he also has hands, which Zach Hyman, much to my sorrow, doesn't really. Um, I know he's declined from what he once was, but I'm thinking we could play him with some pretty high-end talent. And I think you might get some benefit out of him. Right. There's an argument that his isolated shot impact, for example, don't necessarily refer to how well his skill set would necess- would potentially interact with the people we could surround him with, and then he he could be a part of something more successful here, right? And yeah. it, that goes to the idea that like um, chemistry, in, in the sense of complementary skill sets, are a thing in hockey. That you know, if, if you if you play. Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman has great isolated shot metrics, right? Like mm-hmm. his uh, isolated threat and his RAPM are great. If you play him on a line with, without skill players to transition the puck, I wonder whether that translates, right? And mm-hmm. I guess th- there's no way to, as far as I know, there's no way to really assess that because to to assess that we need to like, we need to try and play him in in those sorts of situations, see how how he does and. The idea behind these isolated models is that they're just that. They're isolated. It's a player's impact independent of whoever is around them. But there's reason to think that it's not necessarily um, doing a perfect job of kind of isolating what... the. It's not necessarily doing a perfect job of making sure, like, a player is portable in some sense, right? Like, that, yeah. that's still an open question to me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's always the struggle with hockey, right? And why analytics have taken longer to maybe take hold than in baseball is because it's so hard to strip out individual events because it's such a fluid game and there's so much overlap between teammates and there's more struggle there. Um, it doesn't mean that analytics aren't useful by any means. Yeah. And, and, and like it would be a, weird of us to say that, but from a mathematical, ma- uh, mathematical perspective, like these, these metrics, they do isolate a player's performance from his teammates, but or at least they they do that in theory, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it does a perfect job of doing so, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that teammates uh, that that the complementary skill sets don't exist in some way, right? Because what what you could have is that like to use like to if we lumped Tavares and Marner in as one player, maybe they would do worse with I don't know um, Andreas Janssen on their wing as opposed to Zach Hyman. And maybe Hyman would do worse away from Tavares Marner than he does with them, right? Like, even independent of that. So, like, how do you assess which one's driving the line? It's kind of a combination of all three of them and their skills, right? And yeah. it's not you, – you don't necessarily get uh, completely, I guess, robust results with these methods. Or at least it, it's not completely obvious to me that you've totally isolated out the – idea of complementary skill sets and we see this with Matthews and Nylander actually where both of them do worse away from one another mm-hmm. and as a result both of their like isolated threats or isolated shot driving are, are not amazing but together yeah. you, you put them together and suddenly they're excellent yeah sometimes people just work well together and counting on that in making a trade is a risk you know, and again, it's one of those things where it might make you uncomfortable with the price you'd eventually have to pay to to rent Wayne Simmons for a playoff run. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll admit some of this is just uh, sentimentality. One, I just like the idea of, you know, he's a Scarborough dude. Scarborough dudes are cool. 
And uh, but second to that, he just seems like he has something at forward that maybe we could make use of. He's also kind of the natural candidate on the rental market. Um, if we want to try and upgrade at the wing, which may seem weird, we're thinking, why are we upgrading it forward? But it's tough to find really nice fits. Again, Petrangelo is a rental plus one, and uh, we should certainly look into him if he's really available. But it, it's tough to find clear, definitive upgrades because you need a team that's like definitely out of the running and is selling, and you need the price to be right. You have to also wonder, how much do I really want to pay for a rental? And I'm sure teams are a little gun-shy. I'm thinking of uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. For example, he got a pretty big premium for the Blues uh, out of the Washington Capitals, and then the Capitals didn't really go very far with him. Mm-hmm. So it, it is tough to contemplate a rental, but we are the kind of team that should be thinking about it. So uh, Wayne Simmons comes to mind as, like, the guy for me. Is there anyone that jumps out to you as, like, better as a rental than that? Um, so... The one I'm still sort of holding out hope for is Rick Nash decides he wants to play hockey. Yeah, and if he does, you know, someone will do it. Rick Nash, the impression we get is he's recovering from post-concussion syndromes. Yeah, or and he's like questioning, we don't know. questioning whether he wants to play and obviously put his body through quite a bit more abuse. Rick Nash has made a lot of money. He's had an excellent career. Uh, he doesn't yeah. need to play unless he really has the itch to win. Yeah, he's still He's won effective. everything in hockey besides the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's the tragedy of it. And I'm sure he would love to, to, to you know, uh, finally add that piece. He's perceived as disappearing in the playoffs, which is like, I don't, anyway. I mean, yeah, so pe- people have talked about this before. He has kind of a long track record of not performing in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, you always get into this debate whether, like, what it comes down to is his shooting percentage is low in the playoffs, right? Like, his, mm-hmm. a lot of his other numbers are pretty similar, or at least don't experience huge drop-offs. Um, his shooting percentage is lower in the playoffs. Now, yeah. is that the fault of Rick Nash? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he's getting to worse positions. Maybe he's being more tentative. I don't know. Um, my gut reaction is to say it's probably randomness, but that's a very statistician answer. Yeah, I mean... So I'd have to dig into it more, but I, I don't have any doubt that he would be better than uh, a lot of our options on the left wing. I thought he was good in the, in the playoffs against us last year. He had so many chances. He just couldn't score. He just couldn't buy one. Yeah, and you wonder why that keeps happening to him. Yeah, but well, I mean, uh, it, it's the thing. Like, the the example, the Warren Buffett example of like a bracket of if every person in the world was entered into a coin flipping contest, right? And it's just a big bracket. Mm-hmm. By like five rounds in, you have people who have won five coin flips in a row, and they're like, they're being okay. I I did this for a reason, you know. I'm clearly special. I know how to call coins. And it's like okay, no. like it's a contrived example, but someone has to be the lucky one in that situation, right? Yeah, and if you you run it enough times, somebody's going to get a hot run of luck and somebody's going to get screwed. Exactly, right? And, and you know. it could just be that, right? Like, you, things that happen with 5% probability don't happen never. They happen 5% of the time. So it, it, yeah. it'll happen to someone. And it might be that the someone is Rick Nash. Um, but anyways, I would like him primarily, primarily because we wouldn't have to give up any assets to get him. He's a free agent. Yeah, I mean, give him basically whatever he wants. On a one-year, yeah. Yeah, on a one-year because, like... The Leafs could, like, plausibly offer him, like, um, because of the way that cap space accumulates. Like, they can give him an insane amount of money to play for two months. They could literally they give him like... the max contract. Yeah, they could, which would be hilarious to me. 
but uh yeah so if they want if he wants term or something like that that gets a lot harder for us and i don't know if he does if he wants that security the one thing i always noticed about rick nash and this is just sort of a general perception thing and also a little bit from the fact that he's generally had more goals than assists but i always got the impression that he was a bit of a solo performer you know like he was so so talented and i maybe people have it's been easy to forget because his peak was almost 10 years ago. But at his best, he was just he would score goals that were jaw-dropping. And he didn't have really any help in Columbus. He, Columbus he had, was not good at that time. Yeah, and he had almost nothing. Like, we talked about him struggling in the playoffs. Well, for the first, like, oh, what was it, nine years of his career, he played four playoff games. Like, his team made it once and got swept. And so that was kind of tough. But I've always wondered about, like, What's his fit? Does he need other people? Does he play well with others? Like, how does he work in? He's always, good on team Can- always very good on Team Canada. Like, you, you'd that, watch him on true. Team Canada and you'd be like, how is this guy not always the Rocket winner? Yeah. Which, he, <laughs> the thing is, he, he won, he won the Rocket once yeah. in his second season. And that was kind of kind of it. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to look at him uh, just because, again, if we offer him a few million dollars on a short term... You know, no skin off our back. And he might upgrade the left wing. But in terms of trading for rentals, there's not a lot of obvious Matt Zuccarello maybe, but he's a right winger. He's a left shooting right winger, so maybe you can move him to the other side. Um, yeah. He he would be like a double down par excellence because Matt Zuccarello is A, tiny, and B, one of the legit most purely offensive skilled players I've seen. Yeah. Like, every time we played the Rangers, I would be like, at least they have Zuccarello, because there's going to be something good to watch. Yeah. Carl Hagelin's um, injured right now, um, but he, he's an option. He's also quite good defensively, Carl Hagelin. Um, um, Gustav Nyquist fact, is an option as well. These, these are both, like, wingers. I, and the reason I focus on wingers is because the defenseman rental market is, is awful. Um, just looking at it right now, actually, you have guys like Jay Bothmeister, who is washed. You have Alexander, yeah, I, who is, I think, having an okay year, but he's a left defenseman, not really a guy I care to acquire. Mark Mathot, washed. Nick Cronwall, dirty and washed. Um, <laughs> Anton Strawman, they're not going to trade, a, trade him. Cody Cece, God no. <laughs> if we, okay, if we actually trade for Cody Cece, I want to be he, He's also an RFA, too. I should really just look, be looking at UFAs. Braden Coburn, left shot. You know, whatever. Not Coburn happen. having weirdly a good season. Yeah, and also, like, why, is Tampa, why is Tampa trading him, right? No, they're not. Honestly, like, it, one of the best right defensemen that's, like, a rental is, like, Tyler Myers. For one, Winnipeg's probably not giving him up, but two, he's not that good. Yeah. Like, the the list thins out very quickly in terms of defense rentals. Yeah, it, it's and almost more so... interesting to see, like, okay, who could the Leafs get first... Uh, if we're looking at people with one more year of term, right? And then you look at, then you get Petrangelo, and then not much else, I don't think. Chris, well, Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev, but, yeah. Uh, Tanev, I, I mean, my desire to trade for Chris Tanev has declined at like a linear rate each year. Like mm-hmm. I went from, oh, that would be cool. Oh, that would be okay. Oh, I'm uncomfortable with that. Oh, I don't want that at all. You know, like he just, he struggles with injuries every year. His shot metrics which used to be dominant are not what they once were you know would i pick him up at the side of the road yeah but i don't think i would pay what the canucks would want for him 
So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it is hard to upgrade. Again, the Petrangelo thing is so appealing because it's kind of a miracle solution when there really isn't a lot else to offer. I mean, I think we'd all like to to upgrade on Ron Hainsey, but it's hard to do in terms of acquisitions. Yeah. So, um, Chris Kreider would be another one if we're looking at. He has one more year of term. Uh, he's got Kevin Papetti on our site has been talking about a lot as, as a potential option. Um, the good thing about him is that if you go into the playoffs and the other goalie is giving you trouble, yeah, send out Chris Kreider and he just runs them like a goddamn train. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kreider's Kreider's very good. Um, yeah. I think people who haven't watched the Rangers in a while don't recall this, but Kreider's legitimately excellent. He is a super version of Hyman. He's yeah, he's really fast. Hyman you know? with hands, more or less. Yeah, pretty much the ideal scenario. So, yeah, I mean there are a lot of uh, upgrades, and you think, are we upgrading at wing? Like that's kind of a, a weird thing to think about, but you can say it's leaning even harder into. Yeah, like the image of the least. Yeah, you know, getting a fast, offensive-minded winger to play on the left side. Um, you know, I, I mean. I don't know how many rentals really make a huge difference mm-hmm. in, in the NHL. Like the reality is, is that you're counting on a guy who, you know, maybe the coin flips right and he gets you a goal at a critical time. But it's sort of fluky because the playoffs are sort of fluky to some extent. But the most you can say is that we're a team that's clearly in a position to be shopping if we feel so inclined. Yeah. And so we're going to see. Uh, whether or not we want to do that. Uh, I don't know if uh, Kyle Dubas is looking at that, but I get the impression that certainly he thinks that he's in a position to go for it. That's why he wrapped up the Nylander thing the way that he did. You know, we got John Tavares. This should be a contending year. So we'll see. That we will. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we uh, sign off here? Uh, Nothing off the top of my head other than don't worry so much, be happy, unless the Leafs keep losing and then get worried. Yep, pretty much. Um, okay, so thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's writing at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at AT Fuleman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.